This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Pride of London podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. Please welcome your hosts, Gabe Henderson and Travis Tyler. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the latest edition of the Pride of London podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Henderson, and as always, joined by my co-host and co-site editor, Travis Tyler. Big day yesterday. Chelsea took home the Club World Cup for the first time. Really exciting day. Completed our trophy case uh, under Roman Abramovich. Um, as Piliqueta won the last trophy that he needed to as a part of this team. And it was kind of a redemption story for the failure in the 2012 Club World Cup. So, Travis, just some initial thoughts on the game yesterday. And, yeah, we'll take it from there. Yeah, the game was awful. I don't think we need to work around how awful it was. I mean, it, it, it was mainly just awful to watch. It was just Chelsea had a ton of possession um, and couldn't do anything with it, which isn't unusual for us. Uh, it shouldn't have gone to extra time. I didn't want it to go to extra time anyway because I was ready for it to be over. Um, neither penalty was a penalty. So that's – that's a pretty big issue in and of of itself for a final like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it really did feel like a game of go to penalties. I wasn't very hopeful (laughs) if it had gone to penalties, but thankfully Kai Havertz was able to convert and we were able to get that game over with and, you know, get that missing piece in our trophy cabinet. Finally, after, you know, 10 years of thinking about how we messed it up last time. (laughs) Yeah, that was seemingly a collective mindset that if this game went to penalties, Chelsea really wasn't going to be favored. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just our history in this competition or if it's the fact that we've won, I think, three penalty shootouts in a row this year. I mean, it's like, how long can this can this streak last? But yeah, no, um, I thought. Kai Havertz's penalty was positive. Him scoring again in a final was really good. Um, as Piliqueta handing the ball to him was excellent. And just that whole fake out there, that, that's something we'll we'll probably touch on more later. I think as Piliqueta's leadership, I mean, I'm I'm honestly thrilled for him. He he deserves the world. He's been one of my favorite players since I started watching um Chelsea. So I, I he deserves the world and I'm I'm happy that we were able to get it done yesterday for him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you can say about I was really quite to, at this point. He's the only Chelsea player to have won everything that we're able to win. You know, Droba, Lampard, Terry, Petrchek, they weren't able to do this. But Azubilicueta is the one to finish it off. And, I mean, obviously he's a legend. I don't think that's something you can argue. The only real argument now is, you know, should we extend him or not? And, you know, in my opinion, yeah, we should absolutely extend him. We made a mistake letting Terry, Droga, Czech, and Lampard, we made a mistake letting them leave without finishing their career at Chelsea. And I think – for a few years there, we really suffered in the gap in between trying to find our new leaders until, 
you know, I was really quite just stepped up and was really taking charge of things. Um, yeah, I mean, yesterday we saw everything we needed to see to know why he's important. You know, how many players in the heat of the moment are going to step up to take a penalty, let everyone just break them, and then pass it off to somebody else? Like, I've never seen a player do that before, at least not in that kind of circumstance. Um, and then even that, you know, after the game when everyone's celebrating, where's Azvilicueta? He's with Marina. He's with Petr Cech, He's with Roman. And, like, we haven't had that connection between a player and, you know, the ownership and the board since John Terry left. So I think that's really important to establish and have is that connection. And we'd just be losing so much if we let us really quite to go to another club this summer. Um, and I, we've broken our over 30 policy before for David Luiz. And I mean, we just need to extend us really quick. So we need to keep him around. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you can offer him essentially what he wants, but I don't know. I have this gut feeling that he, he does want to go to Barcelona. I hope that it's not the case. I think he's hugely important to this team and I would love to see him stay on as club captain for another few years, just to kind of add to his legacy. I mean, it goes without saying, I don't think he'll ever reach the heights of John Terry just out of longevity and the fact that John Terry is Chelsea through and through from the beginning of his career. We're not going to talk about the last few years at Aston Villa, but yeah, no, as you mentioned a second ago, I've never seen a player kind of do what Azpilicueta did yesterday. I I mean, we were under the impression that he was going to take that penalty at home and just watching. And there were some reporters there who thought he was going to take it too. And then he, I mean, he, he had everyone fooled. And as you said, I mean, he, he just got berated for a few minutes and put himself under that pressure. Just, it's incredible. It, I, I'm, I'm lost for words at how brilliant that was from him. And like you said, it, it's, I've never really seen it before. And obviously people are going to analyze it to the frame in the video after the game. But I, just to have the knowledge to do that in the moment is it just highlights everything he is as a player. He's just absolutely untouchable as it relates to his status as a club legend. He's got the appearances. He's now got the trophies. He's he's done everything. And I think for that reason, he's got to be the second best club captain we've ever had, even though he might not have had the length that everyone else did. What a player. Um, as for the final overall, just my thoughts. Uh, obviously, Espilicueta is my biggest takeaway. But it was good to see Havertz score in another final. I think we we all suffered through 120 minutes yesterday, whether it be through nerves, boredom, whatever it was. Nobody wanted to see that game go to extra time. I wish Simon Johnson would have been right in his tweet saying there was no extra time and it went straight to penalties. But we had to sit through extra time. Credit to Palmeiras. They, they were good. I mean, we kind of knew what they were going to do. We just couldn't break them down. I think Mount's injury was huge in that. Don't think Pulisic came on and played 
necessarily well. I don't think any of our attackers played particularly well, but it was good to see Lukaku get another goal, which is his 10th of the season, second in this tournament, which was nice. And I, I mean, it's been like a lot of our other performances this year. There's a lot of little things to take away, a lot of little positives that we can hopefully build on going forward. Yeah, I mean, I can see what Lukaku's trying to do where he'll receive the ball and he'll try to flick it on to somebody, but no one's really there for the flick on for whatever reason. Like they just don't understand that's what Lukaku wants them to do. Um, maybe that's because they just think Lukaku should be the one putting it in. I don't know, but I mean, we don't have the club world cup in our cabinet without Lukaku having scored in both games. We don't have it without Kai Havertz turning up for that penalty. I mean, I don't think he did particularly well in the final, but he seems to score in finals. So it doesn't really matter if we're getting the result we need. Um, yeah, I, I agree with about Polisic. I don't think he was necessarily fantastic. Um, and it, it just is kind of concerning the Polisic situation because it really does seem like this summer his time is kind of up. Like we've seen everything we need to see and it's just not going to be enough. Um, and that goes for, you know, a few of our attackers. I mean, no one should really feel too comfortable in their position with the way they're playing. Um, you know, Mason Mount, he's a midfielder who's been playing attacker. He's the only player that is going to continue at this club for sure. Everyone else is, you know, if someone makes the right offer, there's a chance they're gone. Um, I mean, hopefully Mount's injury isn't too serious because I really am concerned about how we'll do without him and games coming up. Um, I mean, that, that'll be a hit just like losing Ben Chilwell and Reese James was. And that one's not going to be locked to a formation. That's going to be, no matter how we play, we're going to be missing Mason Mount. Um, yeah. I mean, Palmeiras knew what they needed to do. They defended and pretty much all you have to do is park the bus against us. And that drives us insane. So you know, other teams are going to catch on to that if they haven't already. Quite a few of them have. Just sit back and let Chelsea do nothing. Let Chelsea be its own worst enemy, I think, is is the best way to put it. Yeah, um, obviously, we'll we'll touch on some of those outgoings after uh, after a little while here, after we finish recapping the Club World Cup. I did want to talk about Havertz and Lukaku, though, because it's interesting. We've all talked about it. Um, Lukaku's now got 10 goals in the season, five of which have come when Havertz has been on the pitch with them. Um, I know Matt Law has said that they want to play together um, more often, and I think they've really put their money where their mouth is over the last few days in this tournament and shown, you know, there's something there. It, it wasn't pretty. It was not comfortable, but it produced results, uh, plain and simple. These two won the Club World Cup for Chelsea, and there's no two ways about it. I mean, Lukaku was the only goal scorer against Al-Hilal in the semifinal. He opened up the scoring against Palmeiras, and Havertz slotted home the penalty. So, and, and I think there's something to be said for that, and I think Havertz grew in confidence over the last few days. And I, I don't think this is just him. I think this goes back to Pulisic in our conversation there. And it also relates to Werner and 
to a degree is itch. No one is going to find form instantly after not having played for X amount of games. You, I mean, you have to play consistently. I, I get there's impact subs and all that, but even impact subs, if you consistently come off the bench for 30 minutes, you start to find a form. But I mean, it's just chop and change for Chelsea's attack. And that's one of the reasons I was kind of disappointed to see a 3-4-3 in these last two games. I understood it in the semifinal without Mason Mount fit enough to start. In the final, I really, really would have loved to see a 4-1-4-1 again with Havertz on the left, if you want to incorporate him in some way, and then Ziyech and Mount interchanging through the middle and on the right. I think that's our best way forward right now. Uh, obviously, I mean, at this point, we have no idea what Tuchel wants to do long term. I think that's for he and his staff to figure out. I, I don't know if he ever will settle on a formation long term. I think now we're starting to see what he did at PSG, what he did at Dortmund, what he did at Mainz, where he just changes all the time. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but you have to have some consistent personnel in there. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I, I agree. Three at the back didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, just because, you know, without James and Chilwell, we just aren't able to do it the way we need to do it. Um, I, I don't know if there was like a concern about how we would be able to do four at the back in this tournament or if we just wanted to be more conservative, kind of like last year. I am just because there was a cup on the line and we felt we needed to win. But to me, our attack is just completely blunted when we play three at the back. Um, not that it's you know significantly better with four at the back, but it is. There is more movement. There is better things to come of it. Uh, beyond that, you know, it really does feel like Lukaku, Havertz, and Timo Werner. They all do better when one of the other ones is on the pitch. Like it, this whole one up top thing doesn't really seem to work with us. Uh, so they almost all need one of the other ones on too. And maybe you can kind of throw ballistic into that conversation as well. But I mean, like I mentioned earlier, Lukaku kept trying to flick it on players and they just weren't, you know, ready for it. And maybe if he had someone like Timo Werner, who's a striker by trade, he'd be a little more ready to get that kind of flick on. Uh, maybe like Kai Havertz would be, you know, able to move a little more freely if there was another striker on the field with him. And I mean, even if you have to shove Pulisic into that conversation, I think, you know, two up top might be the way to go for us, but can you do two up top as easily when you have four at the back as three at the back? And like, there's just a whole lot of things in Tuchel's mind going at once. And, you know, when it comes to situations like this, it does seem like he wants to be a little more, conservative with things than maybe we would like him to be. And that is probably why these games are looking as awful offensively as they are, because we're just trying not to concede and then we'll figure out the goal some, some way down the road. We'll say as it relates to the two up top, I think if you get Havertz in a four, one, four, one on the left, there's a way that you can make a four, two, two, two out of it. When necessary, you can just have Mount slot over on the left and have Ertz go central. Um, so I, I think you have that option. Do I think Havertz is the best option on the left wing? Absolutely not. But 
I think on form, you can't take Ziyech out. Lukaku is obviously going to be your number nine, and Mount is the first name on the team sheet. So I, I think it's just what works. At this point, nothing else has worked up to the to the standards that we're requiring. Um, yeah, uh, Werner, I've I've lost all confidence in him. You know, he showed signs last season, but that's just all gone down the drain this year. And I do think that there is a very good footballer in there somewhere. I just don't think he's going to come out at Chelsea. We're not going to see the goal score. I think, you know, not to not to really cover what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. I think he's gone in the summer and I don't think there's anything anyone can really do about it at this point. So, I mean, at this point, it's just what's proven to work in other formations. I think we need to try out here. I, I think Lukaku and Havertz have a good partnership. And I think Ziyech and Mount are our two most creative players aside from them. So, why not give it a try? And if you add that extra body and attack, like you mentioned earlier, you get that fluidity and maybe something will finally click because to my knowledge, we haven't seen that, especially in a four at the back, but there's a lot of question marks around that. And there's going to be a lot of question marks in whatever formation we play. That's just my, my thoughts. So I, I don't know if you have anything to add on, on that front, what you think, um, but one thing I also want to talk about, and, you know, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about Thomas Tuchel here. Um, I think it's important this club world cup win, because this buys him time, you know, we, we sat here and talked a little bit before, um, hitting record. And one thing that we agree on is Tuchel's locked in for the summer, barring a catastrophic run of events, which won't happen with him. I mean, our catastrophe was the winner, and here we are sitting third in the Premier League in a Carabao Cup final, coming off a Club World Cup victory, next round of the FA Cup coming up. I mean, he's really limited the damage, and that speaks volumes as to how talented he is as a manager. So I think it's really important, and we've always said that Thomas Tuchel could be this guy he, he could be the one to stay. I know we all wanted to think it about Lampard, but Tuchel's the one who's really given the Chelsea board something to think about. And I'm thrilled that we finally seem to be aligned on this. And he's going to get a year 2.5 slash three with the club. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Matt Law's article that I know we'll talk a little bit about later would have come out right after the Club World Cup if, you know, the club wasn't pretty sure Tuchel was going to be the guy in the summer. I mean, we'd have to, like, completely blow the League Cup final and the FA Cup and the Premier League and fall out of fourth and the Champions League to, you know, even, like, kind of put this into a question. And even if all that did happen, you know, who's next? Like, there's no one really out there that is going to, you know, distract you from who you have now. It's not like last year when, when Lampard was fired, Tuchel was there waiting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he seems to be the guy right now. 
the club seems to be continuing the plan they had for Lampard and getting us back to the Premier League with Tuchel. And that's going to come up this summer and it's going to be a big summer to really change how this club operates. I mean, we'll likely be losing some defenders. I don't think it's unlikely that some of these guys running down to one year left on their contract are going to be sold rather than get into another situation like Rudiger and Christensen this year. And you know, then a reshuffle of the attackers and all of a sudden this is this isn't a team that's been created from you know Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, Maurizio Sarri, and Frank Lampard. All of a sudden, it'll be Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, like 100%. And we just have to see where we go from there because we haven't really had that situation since Jose Mourinho was manager. It's a really exciting prospect. And the one thing I, I will say is how dare you say there's nobody out there um, you obviously haven't been reading the news today because Laurent Blanc just left his post as uh, Al Ryan manager after a few months. So. I was today years old when I remembered Laurent Blanc existed. Yeah, thankfully we avoided that bullet. So, um, yeah, so we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we will get into the article that we've alluded to multiple times by Matt Law, and we will talk summer transfers. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. So we Club World Cup is now behind us. We've got an exciting future lined up under Thomas Tuchel. Matt Law put out an article for the Daily Telegraph, as Travis alluded to earlier. And the first thing on the agenda is going after Jules Kounde again this summer. And obviously, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of him. Um, it's just a little little update. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Chelsea to just pull out after how hard they went in on him last summer. So what are your thoughts on Jules Kounde being our top target? I think we're going to have to pay the release calls if we really want him because Sevilla knows how badly we want him and there's no real incentive for them to sell him for anything less. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think he's like the best center back in the world, but he's probably the best one that's going to be available to us in the summer. And I think it's very unlikely that Antonio Rudiger Christensen and Osbili Cueto, if we're considering him center back, I think it's very unlikely that we keep more than one of those guys. Um, maybe two, but I definitely think one of them's gone. So, you know, if anyone leaves, we're going to need somebody to come in. And, you know, Jules Kunde seems like the guy that we're, we have everything pointed towards, especially with Sewell off the table now. So, yeah, and one thing of note is uh, Fabrizio Romano, uh, when, ironically enough, after you and I were talking about um, Jules Kunde published a tweet and a YouTube video just a little bit ago saying that um, Chelsea's really interested in him, obviously. And one thing that he did note is that Sevilla's already looking at center-back replacements, whether it's for Kunde or Diego Carlos. I know they expect to lose one, if not both, this summer. So... 
worst case scenario, we pay the release clause. I think it's 66 million pounds, which is about 80 million euros, which is a hefty price to pay for a defender. But I think, you know, in modern day, when we're going to be making as much money as we are through different competitions and sales, I think it's a necessity, especially if we lose someone like Azpilicueta. And I think Kunde's role in this team can be similar to Azpilicueta's. You know, when we play a back three, he's going to be on the right. Uh, when we play a back four, he will most likely slot into the middle two, which is something that Azpilicueta doesn't do. But I think he also possesses that capability to play on the right. And then I think he can be like Malang Sar, just a lot better than Malang Sar. And that's no disrespect to Sar. I think Sar is a great young player. Kunde, I just think the world of. Um, I think he could also play right wing back in emergency situations. So I guess we will end up seeing how Thomas Tuchel uses him, hopefully, when he brings him in. I, I just think, you know, with the prospect of losing as Piliqueta, um, it would have been so, so important that we bring Kunde in last summer as opposed to this summer. That way you have that transitional period if necessary. So I don't know. I'm just worried there. But that's that's really it. Um, elsewhere, Declan Rice is a transfer target. So is Aurelian Tushimeni. So, um, and then the big slash that I put on you this morning that you must have missed this week in your busy week is Yuri Thielman's from Leicester is going to be sold this summer. Chelsea hasn't been linked. I think the only thing that's been said is a lot of clubs. So um, let's hear your thoughts on the midfielders. Yeah, I mean, if Tillman's is available, go for him. Number one target, no question. Um, I think it's going to be pretty similar to how we're doing it. At center back, if we lose any midfielders, you buy one to replace them. Um, you know, Connor Gallagher is going to have a place next year, but Seoul is going to leave, so that's a pretty easy switch. And then the only question is, with Giorgino and Conte running down their deals, do you sell them in the summer? one or both of them, rather than let them go for free. And, I mean, that's probably a lot of money on the table if you if you try to sell them, even with their age and everything else. Um, I mean, that that's really tempting. Even though they're, you know, fantastic midfielders, it'd be a huge loss to lose both of them. But, you know, if they're not going to extend, you got to sell. I, 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 you can't let them go for free given how much you'd be able to get for them. And then all of a sudden, the heart of your team, your midfield, you can really shape that in a way that you would really set the team up for a long time. Like it's not, it wouldn't be great to lose Conte and Giorgino, but if you can suddenly make this Thomas Tuchel's team, because he's been able to pick the midfielders that that'll go a long, long ways towards getting us to a premier league title. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky situation, but it seems like we'll get a midfielder somehow. It's just a matter of who we're going to lose in the process. So let's look at this kind of as the big picture. When I look at the midfield, I think of three guys. I think of Jorginho, I think of Conte, and I think of Kovacic in no particular order. And then there's kind of the rest. And by the rest, I mean the Saul's, the Ruben Loftus-Cheeks, the Ross Barkley's, all those guys. So I guess one of my questions to you when you were 
just breaking that down, do you still think that a midfielder like a Declan Rice should be added if we sell someone like Loftus-Cheek or Barkley? Or do you think that only should happen if we get rid of uh, a Conte Jorginho type player? I think it goes without saying Kovacic is untouchable right now. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking a three-man midfield, then all of a sudden you're also including Gallagher and Rice and you know maybe Kai Havertz and Hakeem Ziyech. So Mason Mount too overloaded. Who? Mason Mount. Yeah, yeah. Potentially Mason Mount. Yeah. So yeah. So it it can get overloaded pretty quickly. But you know, the reason I'm so big on Declan Rice is not because I'm thinking like, hey, let's replace Jorginho with Declan Rice. Like that's not the point. The point is when you have a player like Declan Rice, you can play different kinds of midfielders ahead of him than you can with Jorginho. Like you cannot be as you can't really get away with Kai Havertz and Mason Mount ahead of Jorginho in the same way you'd be able to do with Declan Rice. You know, Jorginho is a great player, but part of the reason we've done three at the back as long as we have is because of how it protects Jorginho. And, you know, our attacking stagnation, you know, maybe that's also because of having a player like that and we're down like more aggressive players that we could be playing. So if you have Declan Rice, you don't need to be as possession oriented. Let other players do that. He just needs to be there to you know, be a recycler and a defender if needed. So that's going to open up different situations. But, you know, I didn't know Tielemans was available until this morning. I, I would go for him because he's able to actually create from deep and in midfield and score goals from midfield. And we haven't had that since Fabregas left. And that's been a huge hole in our team, not having – a playmaker from deep that can actually connect and, you know, create things. So there's a lot of considerations to be had, especially with, you know, Gallagher's definitely coming back and we just need to figure out who's going to be the future of Chelsea's midfield here. Yeah. And um, just to touch on a few other things that Matt Law put in his article, he said that Barkley and Loftus-Cheek, Chelsea will consider offers for them. Um, so just sticking with the midfield, you know, I think a lot of people will look at Gallagher in the sense that, oh, if we buy another midfielder in addition to the ones we already have, he's got no place. But I don't think that's the case. I think once, e- even if you look at things from a minutes perspective, if you scrape together the minutes of Saul, who Chelsea's not going to pay the re- the buy option on, if you look at the minutes of Loftus-Cheek and you look at the minutes of Barkley, that will be enough for Connor Gallagher, Connor Gallagher early on. It, simple as that. Um, I think so. I think those three, if I had to put money on it, I would say they're gone. So I, I think now you're looking at a midfield of Gallagher, Jorginho, Conte, Kovacic. And I think Chelsea might have to make a tough decision as it relates to either Conte or Jorginho before they bring in someone like uh, Declan Rice, Yori Thielmans, Relian Sushimeni. So I think the one positive here is the fact that we have a lot of options, and these are quality options. Obviously, Chelsea hasn't been linked to Yori Thielmans. The only thing is that um, the only thing that has been reported is that he's going to have a big market. And I expect Chelsea to take a look, especially given their past history with Leicester and how the two clubs do business. So 
yeah, I think it's important to to at least get one big midfielder in, in addition to Gallagher this this summer, because as you said, it really shapes the way that we play. And on that note, you know, I know you mentioned the limitations with playing with Jorginho there. I will say, even in a back four, Jorginho's game has grown so much under Thomas Tuchel, and that needs to be said. I, I know when when you made your comments, you were just analyzing and weren't necessarily disrespecting in a sense, but I think we, Jorginho is one of those players where you need to go out of your way to acknowledge the growth in his game over the last few years. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful for, towards Jorginho. It's just, you can't play certain midfielders with him. Like you need to shield him a little bit to be able to get the best out of him and not be exposed as a team. And, you know, there are times, you know, like with Lampard, for example, like Lampard really wanted Kai Havertz and Mason Mount in his midfield, and you just can't do that with Jorginho behind them. Um, even in Lampard's four-two-three-one, you know, it was very difficult to find a spot for Jorginho consistently because he needed, you know, to have like Conte or Kovacic there to kind of shield him and protect him a little bit. And that just is what it is. You know, a good manager is going to find – the right way to get any player into his team. And sometimes it just requires different personnel at different times. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons we haven't fully leaned into the Jorginho Kovacic pairing in midfield is like you said, you can't play Jorginho with certain midfielders in certain games. And I think the same goes for Kovacic as well. I I thought it was really interesting to see Conte and Kovacic play yesterday. I personally think I would have gone with Jorginho and Kovacic again, but that's just me. Uh, after their performance against Al-Hilal, I thought they were really good. But yeah, it's definitely something to think about. So as far as other sales, you know, it's going to be a big summer for Chelsea. And I think this goes back to what we talked about earlier on in the fact that Thomas Tuchel is going to stay. Is I mean, I mean, he really gets to shape this team how he wants, I think. And we're finally going to see some of these players who haven't performed as well go. Obviously, it, Chelsea's benefited from the chopping and changing in ways like Antonio Rudiger is still at the club, which if Frank Lampard was still at the helm, we wouldn't have seen. Jorginho still at the club. I don't necessarily know if that would have been the case if Lampard was still the manager. And so there's, there's some positives, but there's also some negatives here. You know, um, Marcus Alonso, who I said in a recent article, I don't think is good enough for Chelsea anymore. I will be, I don't think upsets the right word because I don't have anything against Marcus Alonso. I think he's a quality player. I I just don't think he's consistent enough for Chelsea nowadays. Uh, So I'll I'll be a bit disappointed in the club if they re-sign him just because he hasn't consistently shown that he's worthy of remaining in a team that is winning the Champions League and competing for major honors. So uh, what would you do with Alonso this summer? He will obviously have one year remaining on his contract, and we are at a very decisive point. I mean, I would try to sell him, but I don't really think there's going to be a market for him. I mean, he's not – it's not like Conte and Jorginho where they're good enough that you feel like you need to get them in right away, even if their contract is about to expire. You know, when it comes to Alonzo, like, he's – he can do a job for some clubs, 
but I don't think those clubs are going to think like, you know, let's pay for them now so we don't lose out on them later. I think they'll just wait for later and see what happens. Um, at the same time, if we do sell him, who is going to be our backup left back? Like, is it going to be in Matson? Is he ready for that? I, I would probably give him a Premier League loan first. And, you know, even if that means losing Alonzo on the free, I don't think we're really losing too much there compared to, you know, the money that would be on the table for Conte or Giorgino. I think one thing worth noting, too, is six years ago, Chelsea paid $24 million for Marcus Alonso. And say what you will about Marcus Alonso, he, he made that transfer fee up for the club in his first year when they won the Premier League. And he's only gone on to make the club more money. You know, a lot of Chelsea's flaws are, you know, that's part of the reason Danny Drinkwater is still at the club. Not so much Ross Barkley because he only costs 15 million, but a lot of these players, the only reason they're still around is because Chelsea's Marina Granoskaya in specific is really stubborn in the sense that she's not going to take a heavy loss on a deal. But no matter what you sell Marcus Alonso for, even if it's only for 15 million or so at this point, he has, he's justified his transfer price and he's made the club, if I had to guess, probably close to four or five times what he was bought for. So I don't think we need to be that stubborn in that sense. So I I think I disagree with you in the sense that there will be a market for Alonso in that sense. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of Spanish clubs and Premier League clubs who if they hear Marcus Alonso is available for 15 to 20 million pounds, I think they'll be all over it. But obviously, neither of us are insiders we we don't know what's going on at other clubs so it's purely speculation i just think there will be a bigger market than people believe um and sticking on the topic of spaniards especially ones that have a market i think i i don't think Kepa will be able to stick around this summer i absolutely love Kepa. i love what we've been doing with Kepa. Um, I've always been a Kepa fan and I've perhaps overrated him to a flaw at some points, but after the performances he's put in this year, especially in big moments in the super cup and the club world cup, I don't think there's any way we can hang on to him as a number two anymore, even if we promise him game, a lot of game time still. So what are your thoughts there? I don't think he goes anywhere unless someone's willing to pay near what we paid him for him in the first place. I mean, he's he had a really long contract, and he's still got a really long contract. Um, so, first of all, I think clubs are going to have to pay near like a pretty good price for him, especially since he's performing again. It's it's not like before where you know he was playing but not doing well. Like now he's actually doing well, so a good goalkeeper is going to cost a lot anyway. And we paid a lot for him. So that's going to, you know, keep his price pretty high. The the only tricky part is with the world cup coming up, what normally happens is players get like kind of itchy feet ahead of a world cup season where they know they need to be playing to make the team and they want to start at the world cup. So they know they need to be playing. So 
know, does Kepa start looking at like a move just so he can start for Spain in the World Cup? Like he's got a pretty good shot at it already. But if he's starting week in and week out, that chance is only going to go up. So I I can see us selling him if our price is matched, but I don't think we're going to be forced into anything quickly. I think it goes without saying we won't get that 70 million back as fantastic as, as Kappa is. I don't think anybody's going to pay $70 million for a goalkeeper. Yeah. I, I don't think we sell them for less than 55 either though. I can agree with that. I'd say maybe 50, but I, I don't know. It, it's a tricky one because he's still got three years on his contract. As you mentioned, he signed that long deal to, to start with the club. I, I think it might just come down to, whether or not he's happy, you know, he's, and it's worth noting that he has been a consummate professional over the last few years, even when he was struggling. And, you know, it, it was really interesting to see that Players Tribune article he wrote and get an insight as to who he was as a person. And I think he's a really likable guy. I, I've always, as I mentioned earlier, loved Keppa and I loved him even more after that. I have a new respect for him after that. And I think he deserves to be a starting keeper somewhere at a high high level too. Um, he got a lot of a lot of heat for how he performed under Frank Lampard, but he was pretty good in the first year under Maurizio Sarri. He's been excellent under Thomas Tuchel, and I think he's earned that right to be a starting keeper at a high level somewhere else. I, I wish it was at Chelsea, but you know, he just so just so happens that the best goalkeeper in the world right now is is sitting in front of him but i don't think kep is too far off and i know that might sound like an absurd claim but i think kep is really talented and you mentioned the world cup i think it's a no-brainer that spain should start him i don't know if they will i think they should yeah i mean it would almost have to be a spanish club coming in for him and you know, the level of Spanish club able to pay that amount of money is not just aren't that many. Like it's going to come down to the top three of Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. And of those three, only Atletico Madrid might consider a keeper just because the Black's been in such terrible form. Like I read earlier, they're ha- they have their worst defensive record since Simeone joined this season. So, you know, maybe they start looking at a new idea for a keeper, but it, it, it'll be tricky. I, I can't really see, you know, like an Italian or a French club or a German club going for him. So if, if it's going to happen, I mean, I guess Newcastle could go for him as they try to become the next world champions and, you know, throw all this money around, but we'll see. I think it. Uh, speaks volumes to how bad Atletico Madrid's defense has been this year. Um, I don't know how many they ended up conceding yesterday to Katafi, but I know Katafi hasn't scored against Atletico in 12 years, put three past him in the first half. And that's that was unbelievable to me to see. You know, that's been one of the my favorite little statistical nuggets throughout the game over the last few years is how long can Katafi go without scoring against Atletico Madrid? And we got our answer yesterday. Um yeah, he, he's not going to go to Real Madrid. Thibaut Courtois, the man he was brought in to replace, is, I hate to say it, he's been excellent for Real Madrid. Andre Ter Stegen, I, 
I just don't see um, Barcelona moving on from Marc-Andre Ter Stegen at this point. And then, yeah, Jan Oblak, excellent keeper, hasn't been in great form. I could see it. I just I don't think it'll happen. Maybe they cash in on Joao Felix in the summer and have some extra money to play with. I'm not 100% sure what's going on at that club right now, and I don't think they know either. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, there have also been Spanish clubs rumored to come in after multiple other Chelsea players, specifically in attack. I know Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner, and Hakim Ziyech have all been linked to Barcelona. Obviously, Barcelona is linked to everyone despite having no money, which I think is hysterical and speaks to the club's hubris. But uh, Matt Law confirmed in his article, and this is the last bit of transfer dealings we'll talk about from this article. He confirmed that Chelsea would be willing to listen to offers for Pulisic, Werner, and Ziyech. So of those three, um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think Hakim Ziyech has done enough over the last few weeks slash months to justify him staying. So that's the only one I'm really worried about. But the former two, I I think are are gone. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, Ziyech looks like the one who's most comfortable to stay. But at the same time, he's the oldest, and he's going to have a resale value that only drops and drops and drops. And so, you know, especially with how Barcelona's connected to Ajax, like maybe in the back of his head, back of his mind, he's thinking like now or never. Um, but, yeah, I find it really hard to see Pulisic continuing at Chelsea much longer. Um, I mean, obviously, we're both Americans. We want Pulisic to do really well, but it's incredibly frustrating to me to see how coddled Pulisic is by Americans. And, like, if we want to be, like, a true, truly good soccer nation, like, our best player can't be handed games at Chelsea. He has to earn them, and he hasn't earned them. He's just not good enough right now. You know, there have been moments where he has been, but that hasn't happened for a long time. And, you know, it's it wouldn't be the end of the world for, you know, quote-unquote America's best player, and you know me and you both disagree on him being our best player anymore. It wouldn't be the end of the world for him to go to Barcelona. You know, it, it would definitely be something different. And Barcelona is not, you know, Pep Guardiola was Barcelona like it used to be, but it, it's still a huge club. And, you know, he probably would do a little better in La Liga, all things considered. Um, Timo Werner, I just, I don't know how he's going to come back and, you know, look like anything like he did at Leipzig. I think the only way out for him is a club in the Bundesliga and they'd probably be interested, but, you know, I think his, unless he rapidly changes something at Chelsea, I think he's probably already looking at a transfer out if someone's willing to pay something. Yeah. I I thought it was funny after yesterday's game, I, was on match ratings duty and I gave Christian Pulisic a six out of 10 and I got called a Pulisicator by multiple people again, which I thought was hysterical, even though everyone in attack was bad yesterday. I gave Kai Havertz a 10 out of 10, just based on principle. He, he made Chelsea the champions of the world. Um, he didn't put in a 10 out of 10 performance. And I talked about that in there, but I thought that was hysterical. Once again, that the Pulisicator 
the tag gets thrown around on one of us, even though, as we've talked about before, we own his jerseys. We, we love him. He's one of our favorite players, if not our favorite players. Um, yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. I, I think Pulisic and Warner are, are gone. The interesting case, and before I get into, into that, I will say, I think I would love for Bayern Munich to come in with a cheeky bid for Timo Werner. I think it would benefit both sides too with Nagelsmann now at, at Bayern and the aging attackers that they have. Don't get me wrong. They're still fantastic, but you know, Werner offers a little bit of youth. I guess you can say he's 25 now, almost 26. So I think um, the interesting case too, and this wasn't mentioned in the article, this is just kind of off the top of my head is Callum Hudson Adoy. He was pretty bad yesterday. Obviously, he went and got that assist. As you noted, he has an excellent ability of getting an assist out of nowhere, and I think he really benefits from Thomas Tuchel being in his ear when he's attacking down the um, touchline where the managers stand. But I don't know. He's he's an excellent player for me. I just I don't know how long he will continue to get before, you know, Chelsea just kind of gives up on him. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on Hudson Adoy, but obviously we've been linked to Dembele. So yeah, I mean, like I said during the game yesterday, like Hudson Adoy has this ability to be completely awful and yet he's our best creator. Like if there's any player in this team that I would trust to get an assist right now, it's Hudson Odoi. Like hands down, I start him almost just for that reason. But he is pretty awful a lot of the time around that. So, you know, at what point do we look at Hudson Odoi and, and you just accept like it's not going to get better than it is? Like he's he's obviously still young. He can obviously still improve. But we've had a few years of this now. It's not going to radically change overnight. And especially with Thomas Tuchel at the club, like unless we change manager it doesn't seem like Thomas Tuchel is going to get more out of him than he's currently getting out of him because he's not that much better than he was a year ago. Um, I mean, I would definitely, I don't know what I would do with him. Honestly, if, if like Bayern Munich came in for him again today for like the same amount they did before, I'd probably say, yeah. Um, but it, it's just tricky because the potential is there. It just, it just doesn't click all the time. And even when it doesn't click, he's still able to contribute. So, you know, how much are you willing to let him kind of be a passenger if he's going to get you an assist later on in the game? Like it's, it's a really hard question to answer. Um, I do think we need a reshuffle of our attackers and I think that's coming. Um, you know, I, I think we'll start selling off guys like Ziyech and Burner and Polisic that, you know, are on the fringes. Lukaku's not going to go anywhere. Mount's not going to go anywhere if we're considering him an attacker. I, I'm rarely impressed with Havertz, but I don't think he's going anywhere. And I think there's at least more potential there for him to turn it around than some of the others. Um, yeah, if Hudson Odoi gets the right offer, you let him go. And you have Armando Broja coming back next year. I think he's worth keeping around. And I don't. I think if you don't tell him he's staying around next year, that he's going to push for that move to Southampton. Dembele on a free, I'd do it. I mean, he, he's going to have to accept a lesser wage, but that's not unusual. 
for free agents and you know, then just kind of look around and see what other kind of attackers we need going forward. But our current attack isn't doing well enough. And I think there's definitely room for improvement and just, you know, bringing in new faces that might be able to contribute in ways Tuchel actually wants. Yeah. We're reaching a point where something is better than nothing. So just even if that something is trying something new, which we don't know is guarantee it's better than what we're getting. And we've talked so much specifically Uh, I have talked so much about the versatility in this team and how each player can play multiple different positions. It's a blessing and a curse. And I think yesterday with Hudson Odoi at left wing back, we saw the the cursed side of it just because he's really struggled. He's bounced around. I think that's one of the reasons Kai Havertz has struggled as well so much over the last two years. In addition to the fact that he was 21 when he picked up and moved countries he's played under two different managers played in a plethora of different positions gotten covid twice gotten injured i I think the excuses are there for havertz the legit reasons as to why he struggled he we should still expect more but i think if we can get him in one consistent position or get him just i i think consistency overall is what we lack and i think that that relates to both the unit and the individual players, but it seems like we're pretty aligned in the sense that, you know, um, other than Havertz, Lukaku and Mount, I don't think anyone's untouchable. I think Ziyech will stay just because like you mentioned, he doesn't have much resale value at this point. And I think for that reason, his importance to the team actually outweighs whatever cost that we would get for him. But yeah, I definitely, I'm like you in the sense that I'm really hoping for a reshuffle because I, I think this team needs it. And I'm really, really hopeful that Thomas Tuchel can come out after next preseason and get this attack firing with the guys that he wants. So that'll do it for our uh, recap of the Matt Law article and our transfer talk. So we got one more thing for you. We're going to take one more quick ad break. And then when we come back, we will preview Chelsea's next game in six days. So stick with us. All righty. So on the back of an exciting victory, boring game, I feel like I have to clarify that. I don't want anyone coming at me for saying it was an exciting win overall. Um, in the Club World Cup, Chelsea now gets a seven-day break. It'll be five days by the time that you're listening to this. Chelsea's got Crystal Palace in the Premier League in their next match. Obviously, Crystal Palace is going to be without its most important player in Connor Gallagher. So, I mean, we, we saw Crystal Palace earlier in the season. We handled them easily. We saw Trevor Chalaba wonder goal on his debut. What are some of the things that you're looking for, Travis, in the next game against Crystal Palace? Um, I think the main thing I'm looking for is how Chelsea do after a break in games. <clears throat> I know lots of people wanted us to have games called off or delayed last month, but it, it definitely seems like the longer Chelsea is off between games, the worse we do. Like the Club World Cup was pretty awful performance wise, and we had you know so much time off before those games. We weren't great against Plymouth, and we had time off before that game too. So I, I don't buy this whole if we just have a few days rest, we'll 
you know, come back and be firing again. Cause it looks like the opposite's true. Um, I'm always kind of leery of playing crystal ballast. Uh, I used to say like any team with a bird on its crest, I'm just terrified of, of how we play against them. But crystal palace hasn't won in the premier league since Norwich in December. They've only won FA cup games since then against Millwall and Hartlepool. So yeah, I mean, they're not in great form right now. They're going to be without Connor Gallagher, who's about the only player they can trust to, you know, put, string things together. <laughs> we beat them 3-0 in the reverse fixture, and I didn't think we really started the season too hot. So I think we'll probably be okay with this one. <laughs> I'm just kind of worried about this whole time off and how we'll come back from it. There's two things I, of note that I want to respond to you in this sense. One is a quick question for you. Do you think a rooster is a bird? Because if so, then spurs would be counted in that. Yeah, they have wings, I suppose. But, I mean, it just always felt like every time we played Swansea or Crystal Palace, like just something terrible would happen in those games. Okay, so you're not lumping and Spurs in. We just weren't able them. to get. No. Okay, that, I I just wanted to to make that distinction because you know, as we know, we love to batter Spurs. Um, and I've completely lost my second thought, but uh, maybe maybe it'll come to me. Um, I think the most important thing also for the next few days. And this looks beyond just Crystal Palace. Is the fact that we're staying in London? That's that's going to be really important. Ah, there we go. See, remembered it. Um, I think it's worth noting that Chelsea isn't the only team that's looked bad after the break. You know, obviously Man United. Man United's looked bad pretty much all season, but there's been all of these other clubs who have really squeaked out wins. And I, I think it's it's not only Chelsea in that sense. So there's something to be said there. But there, there's going to be rust for everyone else. I do think the Club World Cup will help morale in the in and around the Chelsea camp, and I think that's the most important thing right now is keeping those spirits high because we've got another Cup final in a few weeks. So yeah, Crystal Palace without Connor Gallagher, I think, should be relatively easy for us. And then we look at the next few games and. After all this travel, just came back from Abu Dhabi. Chelsea gets to stay in London for the next four. Got Crystal Palace. Got um, Lille at home. They've got the cup final at Wembley. And then they've got Luton in the FA Cup, which I think that's going to be going to be really crucial for Chelsea. And I think it'll be a nice change of pace for them to be able to stay at home for the next almost month. I think March 5th, you mentioned earlier, might be the next time that we, we actually leave the capital. So yeah, um, that's, that's it for, for us today. We will hopefully be back recapping the Crystal Palace win next Monday. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, enjoy all of the friends that you get to banter and Enjoy your celebrations of being champions of the world. Make sure to give our articles a read always at theprideoflondon.com.
make sure to interact with us on Facebook and Twitter on Facebook at the Pride of London, on Twitter at Pride O London. Then you can interact with Travis and I on our personal Twitter accounts. You can find me at Gabe H Sports. You can find me at Traftical. So thanks everybody once again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.